Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Moore Z, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, March 9th. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 35. We will be reading the second and third paragraphs. Today's readers are Susan R., Nancy H., Lauren N., Rita K., Karen A. Thank you for your service. Reference numbers for yesterday. Yesterday's 7 a.m. share ID, 11,135-11135. And yesterday's 10 a.m. share ID is 11,137-11137. OA's preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And Susan R., would you please read the 12 steps of OA? Good morning. This is Susan R. Uh, these are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, um, we asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, saw through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening, as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me serve. Thank you, Susan R. Nancy H., would you please read the 12 Traditions of OA? Sure. Good morning, everyone. I'm Nancy H. from Massachusetts, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader. 
The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overreader who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overreaders Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overreaders Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me share. Read. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy H., for your service. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then please press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the person speaking, should be muting, muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're in the chapter more about alcoholism and we are on page 35. And we are going to be reading paragraphs two and three, starting with our first example and ending with a deep affection and commenting on both. And Lauren N., would you get us started by reading? More Star one, can Lauren. you hear me? Can I you can hear now. Me? Thank you. Yes. Thank you. This is Lauren N. from New York. Our first example is a friend we shall call Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. He inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had commensable a commensable World War II record. He is a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He, ha he is an intelligent man, normal, 
so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. He did no drinking until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed on leaving the asylum. Sorry, he had to be committed, period. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. We told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He became, he made a beginning. His family was reassembled. He began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in a serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family, for whom he had deep affection. Wow. While I'm reading that, I'm thinking, is this a message? I know God sends me messages all the time, and I don't always heed them. But this is a really loud message. I've stopped eating, and I've been struggling. But I've worked real hard to try and enlarge my spiritual life because I know where I'm headed if I, if I don't. I know this program works and I know I need to work it. Last night I went to a tribute for a dear friend who passed. And during the tribute, all I could do was pray to her. And that's okay if that's my higher power right now. Praying helps me stay away from my substances and to realize that he's got my back. He or she has my back. It doesn't matter if I believe in the higher power of my upbringing or if I believe in that I believe in a higher power that will help me stay away from this substance that will kill me. And if I hold on to his hand, so to, call, so to speak, to get me through hard times and to know 
that my higher power is there with me at all times because I don't want to lose my family and my friends and my life. And I know that it's only with that that I can stay sober. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you, Lauren N. And so we're going to open it up for those who would like to comment on these two paragraphs. I ask that you say your name but once, and I will repeat it back. Who would like Ms. to share? R. Lisa R. Kim G. Harlan G. Nancy A. I have Nesta R. Kim G. Harlan G. Nancy H. Lisa B. Lisa B. Kelly F. Mary something. I'm sorry. Mary something. Susan R. I thought I heard a Mary. Susan R. Mary Katie G. From Boston. Melissa C. Okay. I'm going to stop with Katie G. I didn't hear Mary's last initial, but this is who I do have. Nessa R, Kim G, Harlan G, Nancy H, Lisa B, Susan R, Mary Blank, and Katie G. Woo! Nessa R, would you please get us started? With pleasure. That was amazing. I don't know how you unscrambled that jumble of voices. But uh, anyhow, this is Nessa R, a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I love the story of Jim because it has so many lessons. Lesson number one uh, for me uh, this man had no reason to drink. He had a good life, a beautiful family. He seemed to be prosperous. He was well-liked. So why did he drink? You know, like I always blame my eating on everything except myself. You know, um, if you had no money, you would eat also. If you had a stressful job, if you had my boss, if your children misbehaved and bickered like mine do, you know, if you, my, your husband didn't take out the garbage when he needed taken out, you would eat too. You know, I was full of excuses that, of, of course, absolved me from any responsibility whatsoever to do something about my eating. You know, um, I didn't live by the motto that my problems are of my own making. I live by the motto that my problems are by are um, um, everybody else's making. And the truth is what I've learned in program is that, you know, my eating does not depend on the circumstances, which, you know, this is a good example of the story of Jim because he had no reason to, to, uh, to drink. But by the same token, my recovery also doesn't depend on the circumstances. I don't need the most optimal, best circumstances. I don't need everything going my way in order to recover. What I need to recover is very, very simple. Number one, put down the food entirely, 100% clear-cut abstinence, and then work the steps you know, with the desperation of a drowning man so that I can reach the answer to my problems, which is God, to, to make God accessible to me. You know, and this is something that Jim didn't know, didn't do. You know, the, the story says we told them what we knew. What did they know? They knew about the uh, uh, allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and so did Jim um, at that point. But he still went out and went, got drunk. And why is that? Because he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. He didn't go on with the steps, so he still had no access to a higher power to solve his problems. 
So, so that is just a very simple lesson. Put down the food, work the steps very quickly, um, you know, to the best of my ability, and I will come out the other side. I will come out, uh, recover, and enjoy and experience a beautiful life no matter what the circumstances. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. R. Kim G., it is your turn, followed by Harlan G. Good morning, Mara. Sounds like there's a lot of friends of Jim on the line. Wow. Um, good morning. My name is Kim Jean. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And the line that always jumps out at me is, all went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And, and this was important for me, and it reminds me of my own experience for many years in OA. Why did it all go well for a time? You know, because we have this twofold illness. And when we put down the food, there is an absolute freedom from the allergy not being triggered. And what I would do is I would confuse that with saying I have a freedom from the mental obsession. So what, I, what that would mean to me is I would white-knuckle it through, for me personally, day one and two is, is not too bad. I still have enough of my food running through me. Day three to five, three to seven, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And then usually day 7 to 14, 7 to 21, I'm coming back to the meetings and saying, whoa, God removed the obsession. God hadn't done anything because I hadn't done anything. I was just feeling the freedom from the allergy not being triggered. So all went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Well, the spiritual life doesn't address the allergy. It addresses the mental obsession. So I can get freedom from that allergy, and if that was my only problem, in all honesty, rehabs would put out 100% recovery because they physically remove people from their drugs, their drinking, their food, whatever their, their uh, allergy is. And then you can make a rational decision not to do that again. So the reason I'm relapsing is not because of the food. The reason I'm relapsing is not because of the allergy. It's because I'm not treating the larger aspect of my disease. And I think of Bill's story, and I'm, I'm driving, so I can't, I'm not going to quote it exactly. But it says, for if an alcoholic fails to enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. So enlarging your spiritual life in, in different religions means different things, in different um, self-help books means different things. But in a 12-step program, enlarging my spiritual life is very specific. It's through work, which is the 12 steps, and self-sacrifice for others, which is helping other people. And I hope this doesn't come off mean, but I've been working a lot with people that have recovered and have now relapsed. And I don't talk to them about what happened the day that they picked up, because that's what everyone focuses on. I talk to them what was happening two, three weeks before. And what is consistent is 10, 11, and 12 is put by the wayside. Maybe it was a tragedy. Maybe there was a celebration. Maybe it was a good day. Maybe it was a bad day. But that gives me comfort. Because I've never met anyone who was fully engaged in 10, 11, and 12, which is working steps 1 through 12, who was ever relapsed. So I have to understand, as Bill's story say, there will be certain trials and low spots. But if I stay linked in to this, to this spiritual life, I never need to eat again. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Harlan G., it's your turn, followed by Nancy H. Is this me? It's me. No, it's okay. you. Okay. Thanks, Maura. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive reader in Scottsdale, Arizona, where there's no snow. It'll be about 79 today, 78 maybe. 
This is not a story of a guy who was drunk and couldn't get sober. This is a story of a guy who was sober and made a decision to pick up after he knew what was going on. Jim's a good guy. He's very likable. Kim likes him. Nessa likes him. We all like him. I think you like him more. But the bottom line is, once again, not to create a series of people saying the same thing, but it's unavoidable here. We told Jim what we told, we told him what we knew of alcoholism. What did they tell him about alcoholism? They told him of the physical allergy and the mental twist. That's the information we have on alcoholism, the mental twist and the physical allergy. The answer we had found, step two, so we told him step one, the allergy of the body and the twist of the mind. Step two is the answer we had found. And step three, he made a beginning. Step three is referred to in the book as a beginning and a decision. And like me and many of us that I've heard on the line over the many decades, we come in and we get all charged up on fellowship and we stay on our pink cloud, our diet with group support for a period of time. His family was reassembled. He began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. Wait a minute here. Whoa. Now we've got some buildup of human emotion. He loses his business. He's working as a salesman for a business that was passed to him by his family. He has let everybody down. Is that why he drinks? No. He drinks because he's an alcoholic. All went well for a time. He stayed on his diet, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. How do we enlarge our spiritual life? By, going, by doing 4 through 12. 4 through 12 on a daily basis, but 4, four you know, through 12 at, at the beginning there. He fails to enlarge his spiritual life. What happens? He finds himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. And as was just said by Kim, seldom do I ask a person what happened that day because I'm more interested in what happened a week ago, a month ago, because the picking up of the food is not the beginning of the relapse. It is the end result. It is the culmination of the cessation of actions that we need to take to lower the level of human emotion. And when we stop doing 10 Tom. and we stop doing 11 and we stop doing 12, the food is certain to follow. Not maybe, not could be, not mostly. Time. It's certain to follow. And with that, I will pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Harlan G. Nancy H., it is your turn, followed by Lisa B. Please do remember we're looking at three minutes so that most people can share if they want to. Nancy H., please go ahead. Thank you, Maura. I'm Nancy H., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Um, the thing that hit me is probably the thing that hit quite a few people, enlarging his spiritual life. Um, he failed to do that. I... At one time, I thought that all I had to do was maintain my spiritual life, to be showing up for God for quiet time every day and to be doing 
you know, the best I can. But it was always the same old, same old. And then I realized when it said enlarge, it really hit me. Enlarge a spiritual life. It needs to get better every day or I'm going back towards relapse. So I've found different ways. Um, when I start getting, you know, stagnant on my relationship and my uh, 11th step, I'll look for another way to try and uh, change it, to try and work it. And um, there are times the connection is not there, but I know that it will return if I continue to persist. Um, I like where they said that they reviewed with him, but I hadn't thought about it until I heard some sharings this morning that they didn't review with him what he was thinking right before, what he thought during, and what he thought after, that they reviewed with him what had built up to this. Because I'm told that there's a ladder that we go on, and we can stop at the, you know, the top rung when we, and we notice something's wrong, we stop right there, or we can go a little bit lower, or we can go right into relapse. And as I've heard, the relapse doesn't start with the first, you know, when we picked up the food. We were in relapse times before that because we couldn't uh, seem to uh, recognize what was going on. And we let it pass, like he did about, he was, you know, a salesman for a business he had lost. Um, so when I uh, pick up, uh, you know, he had everything going for him. I thought I had everything going for me, too. And I had low self-esteem, though, and I felt I didn't measure up to others. And um, the minute I picked up the food, after I was on my diet for a while, everything else took precedence. You know, that that was what took precedence over all the good things in life. And I, sometimes I never even gave thought to the consequences. It was just that mental obsession that told me it was okay to pick up. And I was soothing something, but I didn't realize it. So everything, you know, everything to me is to... The reason I relapsed the last time was that I didn't stick up to... Stick with steps 10, 11, and 12, especially 11. And I, I definitely have a healthy fear of not taking my quiet time with God every day because I realize that's what keeps me away from that mental obsession if I'm in good, fit, spiritual condition. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you very much, Nancy H. Lisa B., it's your turn, followed by Susan R. Good morning, Maura. Thank you for your service this morning. My name is Lisa B. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. But he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. I love that little word, but it negates everything that was just said. He failed to enlarge. That word enlarge means become bigger, more extensive. So this illness, which this big book tells me that I am doomed, it says that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. Many are doomed who never realize it. This illness of compulsive overeating, alcoholism, is like an iceberg. Like it might be really small up on the top, but down on the bottom, it is just so expansive and massive. My spiritual life must be bigger than this illness. How do I bring about this spiritual life? Well, this big book tells me in Bill's story that worldly clamors distracted him and that the spiritual life is the only thing for me. In working with others, it says his recovery is not dependent upon people. It's dependent upon his relationship with God, my creator. And this big book also tells me that there are many helpful books out there 
that will help me enlarge my spiritual life, prayers, meditations, that I need to be quick to see where religious people are right. So there's so much here. But really and truly, this book tells me that it's through working with others, that it's that self-sacrifice. What does sacrifice mean? It means slaughter. Myself must be slaughtered through these steps. You know, if I really study this book, there's a lot of graphic descriptions about the destruction of self, that the self is the problem and that we've entered the world of the spirit. That is the goal, to enter the world of the spirit, not live in this material world with temporal things, which is what I place all my value and importance on. But that's what's going to be the death of me. I can live in this world. I can really walk around and enjoy this world. But to be abstinent and sober, I need to live in the world of the spirit. I need to follow these steps like my life depends on it. Because the truth is I'm doomed. And it all starts with entire abstinence and then living in these steps. But that spiritual world I've needed to seek in books and really explore. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. Susan R., it is your turn. Hi, good morning. This is Susan R. in Rhode Island, uh, compulsive overeater. Um, As with some of the others, the part that jumped out at me was all went well for a time. Um, Some 30 years ago when I first came to OA, um, I was on that pink cloud, and I I look back now and, and see that Although I was doing a lot, I thought I was, and it was still, I was still in a diet head, uh, definitely. And when I came to the third step, you know, so many people talking about it and, and, you know, the reading of it made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. I, I just decided, well, I, I need to, you know, I need to find a church. I need to just find a church. And it's only recent that I realized that the reason I was so um, hung up on, I've got to find a church, that's going to be the, uh, to find this God of my understanding, is because at that point, things did start to uh, fall by the wayside as far as, for me at the time, the food. Um, It had been you know, clean and and things were not quite right. And I thought, well, I just need to get to that God of my understanding. And I went on a church search. I found a church. And um, the the message I received and I accepted it wholeheartedly was, oh, you do not need to go to OA. Uh, You just do this. Stay here. And I did that for the next, you know, 20 years of, Relapse is what it was, and um, I realized today, now that um, I'm abstinent and you know doing the steps through this program and a vision for you and and uh, the way that it's really laid out in this book, um, that the only way that I can uh, it is the, the spiritual connection the. The God of my understanding is not just in a church, and um, I, I don't know what else to say, but I'm just seeing a lot of things. I thank everyone on the line and, and for this uh, this group, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Susan R. And for those that are just joining us or have joined us a little bit later, we are on page 35, and we are reading paragraphs 2 and 3, the first starting with our first example and ending with a deep affection. And we're going to start with Mary Beth and Katie G, but who else would like to share, please? Janice. Robin, Larry. Larry K. Janice, I think Janice P.M. I heard Larry. I heard Leah. I heard Russ. And I think we're going to be up with that for now because that's uh, six. Okay. This is who I have. Mary Beth, Katie G, Janice P.M., Larry K., Leah M., Russ M., Mary Beth, would you get us started, please? And thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just wanted to share uh, what stood out to me was we told him we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. And I've been in OA before, um, like the regular OA, 16 years, and then relapsed, and then found OA90, and then, I guess you want to call it a relapse, it's just stubborn. Anyways, and now I'm here, and um, I'm new, and what touches me is the we told him, and I need the we. I need to know I'm not alone. And I'm right, I'm kind of feeling vulnerable because that physical pull and allergy is gone. Like the stuff, you know what I mean? Like I feel like you couldn't pay me to put that crap in my mouth. And I'm eating all the good foods, and but I, I know it's not, that's not just it, you know. Like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm really happy about the we told him we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. And I need that answer, um, but I know I need to get out of my own way, and I'm trying to, and I'm I'm trying to swallow that all addicts are liars, like, and I'm trying to not lie to myself anymore, that I think I can, you know, you know, this, that, or this, that, you know, I can't, and um, I don't want to sound like I'm putting myself down or anything like that, but um, so I'm happy to be here making a beginning, but I know that there's more, and um, and I'm happy about that because I hope to call Kim G what she shared, and what, I mean, everyone shares great, but uh, it is like it's down, and you know, but there's more. So with that, I'll pass, and I thank you all for um being here and who you are and with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Beth. Katie G, it is your turn, followed by Janice PM. Good morning, Maura. Good morning everyone. Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been in program for a few twenty four hours and um I did the steps for the first time out of the big book Alcoholics Anonymous nine years ago. And as a result my life started to get busy. So I went from like a single woman with nothing in my life and I went to grad school. And, uh, you know, slowly, um, piece by piece, step 12, 11, 10, 9,
slowly those pieces started to like chip away and my rationalization and justification um, about, well, if you went to grad school, you wouldn't do that either. If you went to that, like they took over, right? And I stopped hearing the message of this program, if you are like me, and you may not be like me, this program, the foundation of my life has to be structured in this program. You know, people, I've shared this before, people call me and they say to me, how's your program? I don't know how to answer that question because my life is in this program. And I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, I've talked to, um, and I, I, my, my, I, eventually I broke my abstinence. And I get it. Like, I get it. You get to step 12 and you're like, you know what? My life is really busy. I need to attend to my husband. I need to attend to my kids. I need to attend to my job. I need to, the thing is, if I don't attend to this program, first and foremost, and what I mean by that is I'm a naturally undisciplined woman, right? And so what I have been taught through the school of hard knocks is entire abstinence, commitment to my abstinence, commitment to prayer, commitment to making phone calls, quiet time, reading the literature, doing my step work, being in OA, like that is my life. And then my life surrounds that, then I, then I get to be with God and I get another, you know, reprieve of abstinence. And, you know, you may be out there and saying, you know what, Katie, and, and people call me, you know what, Katie, this is really hard. Like, I don't get how to do this. I just want you to profile some of the other women and men that are on this line. There are women and men on this line that have double-digit children that have multiple jobs that have, you know, lives that are really, really big. And yet, the foundation of their life is on the integrity of entire abstinence and working this program each and every day. And, you know, I want to encourage you, if you don't know, if you get to step 10, 11, and 12, and I'm wrapping up, Maura, and you don't know how to do that, call and ask because it's not easy. I have, I have learned from all of you when I have two decisions which one to go with. And, um, it is a vital decision to choose this program in God. And if I make the wrong decision, I will go back to the food. So I'm just honored to be here. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. Janice PM, and then Larry. Well, good, <clears throat> good morning to you, Mara, and everyone. My name is Janice PM. And, um, you know, uh, the first, our first example is Jim. What is this an example of? Well, it's an example of the insanity that I would have or most of us would have before if we did pick up that first bite. And that's what we call insanity. And it's the thinking, not the eating. It's the thinking, not the drinking at this time. Because we, I know for myself, the first three steps, I I commenced to believe. I have a conclusion. I knew a little bit. Of, you know, we. Uh, I was taught about alcoholism. I was taught that I was powerless. That you needed a power. And you know, I, I conceded to that. However, however, it was just. You know, he just. He knew about that because I told him about that. Um, he knew the answer. They told him about step two, and step three was just the beginning. He started working only on some of these steps. Now, <clears throat> that's my experience. I did all, you know, well, I did it a couple of times. But when I did work on these steps, 
I thought I was all set because I was recovered. But then all went well for a time. You know, I did service and I did this and I would take sponsees and I would do that. But as far as enlarging my spiritual life, yes, steps 4 through 12. However, I wasn't practicing it in my home, the hardest place to practice it. I was still having resentments, whether it was in my home also and outside of my home. I was talking and I was doing service and and talking so nice on the phone, and yet in my private life, I wasn't acting spiritual, and I wasn't asking for help. I was asking for help, but then I would still do what I thought I should do because I was so resentful at my life. And you know what? (laughs) It doesn't work. When we fail to enlarge our spiritual life, going through the steps, yes, 4 through 12, but I have to act it. I have to not only act on the steps, I have to act it in my home. I can't get irritated by something that somebody does. I can't be resentful. Those are the blocks between me and my higher power, you know. And, of course, you know, that's what's going to happen. You know, suddenly I'm going to be irritable, discontented, and uh, what happens is you pick up the bite. Not not everybody, I'm just telling you my past experience. But um, I have to not only practice this every day in my home, <laughs> and of course outside of my home I'm fine. You know, you'll think nothing's wrong. So that's my experience in the thinking before the drinking, the thinking before the eating, picking up comes way before. It doesn't just come, you know, auto time. And that will, and with that, I pass. Thanks, Mara, and everyone. Thank you, Janice PM. Larry K. It is your turn, followed by Leah M. Hi, Mara. Thanks for your service. I'm, you're going to hear my buzzer go off here. I'm going to set my own timer here, so let me start that. Okay, I'm Larry K. Recovered compulsive reader. See, the uh, the big book shows us the futility of an alcoholic trying to live without the spiritual solution. I've lived most of my life without a spiritual solution. And other, in other words, you know, it's going to talk about the fact that, that trying to use only human power, which is simply our self-will and our self-knowledge, to solve the problem of this alcoholic problem leads the alcoholic back to the first bite. And for years now, I've heard people in our fellowship refer to the, you know, the compulsive overeaters' insanity as those crazy things we did when we were drunk on food. And I'd like to suggest that this is a misperception. And first of all, most of the, the, those things basically disappear when we, when we put the food down. And also, all compulsive overeaters do not have in common all the crazy things we did when we were eating. So, so some eaters on the line never ate a half a gallon of ice cream in one sitting. I've done that. But some have never lost a job or a family due to their eating. And there's some on the line that have never had a plastic bracelet placed on their wrist while there are others that have. And also there are some non-compulsive readers who have experienced a plastic bracelet on their wrist or eaten a half a gallon of ice cream in one sitting. So I say this because the only insanity that every single one of us has in common on this line is that even though food has burned us and caused us problems again and again, we return to taking the first bite because food brings about ease and comfort for us and soothes that inner turmoil, right? And we're not thinking about the problems 
eating caused us, we only think about the relief it brings us once we have a few bites. This is the insanity that we need to be restored to that's mentioned in the second step, and it's a spiritual solution. You don't need a bracelet around your wrist. You don't need an empty half a gallon of ice cream. If you are one of us, the spiritual solution is the only solution, and it's done through the implementation of the steps in sequence. I suggest you do it kind of quickly. I needed to. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Leah M., it is your turn, followed by Russ M. Thank you very much, Maura. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life to his consternation and found he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. I mean, that's the cunning, baffling, and powerful nature of this illness. It just uh, hijacks us, you know. You know, when they talk about powerlessness in the book, the real area when we are powerless means when you learn all about compulsive overeating, when you learn all about it, when you have a head full of lots of knowledge, you still can't go through life without compulsive overeating. We may have those people on the line. I believe we do. I hear from them. That powerlessness, that knowledge won't help you stay abstinent. And, you know, the bottom line is binging was not my problem. It was my solution. It was glue, you know, food felt like the glue that was holding my life together. How I felt when I was abstinent was my problem because I was restless, irritable, and discontent, and I had to pick up that first bite again. My book teaches me that I had lost the power of choice. I don't have a choice whether I'm going to pick up or not. I have lost the power in in choice. That's the difference between me and a hard eater. That's what it means to be a real compulsive overeater. I have to pick up again. A compulsive overeater of my type, not compulsive overeating, and not treating the illness of compulsive overeating, and sitting in OA meetings such as a vision for you, does not treat the illness. That is the great myth that kills many, many compulsive overeaters. The 12 steps, the process of the 12 steps treats compulsive overeating. The meetings are where the solution is and where the solution is taught. The meetings are where the fellowship is, and fellowship is very, very powerful. But it's not going to create the vital change that's necessary for someone like me. The 12 steps treat my illness. And compulsive overeater of my type, not compulsively overeating and not treating the illness, the ism of compulsive overeating, eventually people like me get so restless, so irritable, and so discontent that we have to do one of two things. (laughs) I don't have a choice. I have to do one or the other, either pick up that first bite or blow my brains out, or I like to say compulsive overeating is like being kicked to death by a rabbit. (laughs) Most of us compulsively overeat again, but we all know someone who's paid the supreme sacrifice, don't we? Jim took steps one, two, and three. The only way we can enlarge on step three is by doing step four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven, and to continue to live in those steps. The spiritual life is not a theory. I needed a connectedness and a relationship with something immeasurable and indestructible because not compulsively overeating has no effect on the disease of addiction. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. 
Rasim, it is your turn. Star one. Good, mor- good morning, Mar. Rasim, recovered compulsive overeater outside of Philly. Um, my man Jim, love him. Just a lot of similarities between me and him. I'm a nice guy. I have a family. I love the people. I was on plenty of diets, had plenty of respites. And you know what? Note was enlarged when I was on those respites. Uh, What I was trying to enlarge was my biceps, my manipulation skills, and my bank account, and my influence on people. Ultimately, what what was enlarged was the craziness in my mind, the torment of this, this disease, and destruction of my body. But because because of this program, because I was desperate and I was broken, and I came to this program, and somebody helped me out and taught me this, and through the big book and the steps, I can I can walk with my head up now. I can't walk with my chest out. Can't do that. If I walk with my chest out, I'm sure to be. I have no chance. I have no chance because I'll be back in the food in a minute. So I like Jim. That's my buddy, man. When I read that, you know it. Uh, really touched my heart because that was me. And uh, I ain't trying to fail to enlarge my spiritual life. I need to do that every day. And everything in my life flows from God above. And if I ain't in that book and I'm not working these steps and I'm not helping others, I'm not close to God. And it's it's utter disaster. So that's all I got. I love you guys. You're you're spectacular. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Russ M. Okay, so what do we have here? We have uh, clock. What time is it? Oh, where's my clock? Seven forty-nine. We've got time for I would say say two, maybe three more shares. Who would like to share? Monica T. Angela. Monica T. and Melissa C. Angela. Monica T. and Melissa C. And I think that's all we might have time for. Monica T., would you please go ahead, followed by Melissa C. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. And I'm going to take out something else from here from this little paragraph. He, he, to his consternation, amazement, confusion, he found himself half drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. This is what I want to point out. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. And I, and I take that as instructions to me as a sponsor. Monica, you don't just dump somebody because they've picked up. They worked with this man half a dozen times, six times, and yet we're going to see there's a seventh time when we turn the page. They reviewed with him what happened, what was going on before, and like it's been said, you know, what started three weeks before. When in the, but anyway, that Monica just, you know, work with people. We only get two choices. You either go towards God or you go towards the food, and we keep working. And I thank God and I thank my sponsor that kept working with me. And, um, and I agree with everyone else that's been saying 
that, you know, we have to enlarge our spiritual life. I have to continue working 10, 11, 12 every day because um, if I don't, I'm going to get restless, irritable, and discontented, and I'm going to eat, and with that I pass. You surprised me. Thank you, Monica G. Melissa C., it is your turn. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., recovered, compulsive overeater in New York, and I'm setting my timer. And I, you know, um, I was really going to say pretty much close to what Monica said that um, I learned, you know, from these paragraphs that one, when someone picks up, like he did half a dozen times, we work with them. You know, we carefully review what happened. And this is like a great time. It's often a great time for to drive the point home with someone that we're powerless, you know, um, because I didn't discover that I was powerless until I tried to use my power to quit and found that I could not, that I could not stay quit. You know, I couldn't stay stopped. And uh, for me, um, it's really where I was able to take step one. And when I work with people, it's really where they begin to take step one, which is that self-diagnosis, you know, and, the problem, though, um, that I found and the frustration is that once someone starts to pick up, um, when I started to pick up, the ability to be honest, you know, to honestly review anything gets polluted by the, you know, by the intoxicating effects of the food. And, you know, so once someone picks up half a dozen times, you know, probably about the first or second time in, the disease starts telling this lie did to me that I know I've just changed my mind, you know, that I'm not ready. Those are the things that I hear from people when they start picking up, they're like, no, maybe I'm not ready. I'm just not ready to do this. Or this is too much work or, or, you know, or the saddest thing of all is that they start um, feeling guilty, you know, guilty towards the person who's working with them, like, I'm wasting your time. And those are the lies I told myself. Those are the lies my disease told me that somehow my worthiness to continue on, to press on, um, I was less worthy because I was struggling with the food. And that's laughable. Like, we're the most worthy people of all because we're struggling with the food. Who better, you know, that needs this program but people who can't stop eating, you know. And so for those that press on, you know, we can recover so long as we completely agree. Yeah, we're real compulsive overeaters. We're in a serious condition. We need a spiritual solution, not a better food plan, not, you know, more more group support, but a spiritual solution. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And we have about a minute. I think I'm going to take it. More Z recovered in Virginia. I went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And all I can tell you is that after one year of being recovered, and thinking I was all that in a bag of chips, and I didn't really need to do 10 steps and 11 steps, where did I find myself? Back in the food. So enlarging my spiritual life is paramount in my daily life so that I am able to retain this blessed gift that I've been graced with. And with that, I'll pass. And it is now 
7.55. And so it is time to close this magnificent meeting. I'd like to thank everyone who shared. And please do join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And today's share ID is 11,146. 11146. We'll now close with the reading of from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Rita Kay, would you please read that for us? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Star one, Rita. Karen A., are you available to read for us this morning? Um, I'm Karen A. I can read it. Thank you, ma'am. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come. If, you are, if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something that you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.